Hey everyone, this is Charlie Shrem, and you're listening to Untold Stories. This is a show where we dive deep into the lives and personal histories of some of crypto's most influential leaders and find out how the crypto movement truly came to be. Let's dive in. Today on the show, I have my good friend, Kadan Stadelman. Kadan is a blockchain developer, he's an operations security expert, and he's the chief technology officer of Komodo. What's so cool is that he actually started as just like a developer and a customer service person, and he ended up becoming the chief technology officer. He was raised in North Africa as a son of an Austrian diplomat, and actually the crazy story of how his father was unfortunately and sadly assassinated. Kadan's passion for information and electronic technologies appeared with him such a young age he coded his first applications before entering like elementary school and ended up starting some crazy companies and doing some super crazy things we talked about the having cryptography blockchain technology his father's stories being a diplomat being austrian what's going on in austria during covid and some of the coolest things i'll talk to you guys just in a minute give some love to the sponsors i'm charlie shrimp out Before we get started, I'd like to thank our sponsor, BitPay, for making today's episode possible. We'll hear more about them later on in this episode. Untold Stories wouldn't be here without the amazing production company, Blockworks Group. A few months ago, I approached Blockworks Group and I said, hey guys, I want to do a show, Untold Stories. Can we make it happen? And these guys are the only event and podcast production company that I trust. Really, the show is powered by them, and it wouldn't be here today without the amazing work of the BlockWorks Group team. So for access to all the premier digital asset conferences and to check out their other podcasts in their network that they produce, check them out at BlockWorksGroup.io. That's BlockWorksGroup.io. I promise you will not be disappointed. Uh, Where are you you coming from? Where, Where are we talking from? Uh, we're talking from Austria. I'm in the. Oh, you're in Vienna. Um, well, not 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 Vienna, but I'm like in the in the far western part of Austria, like right at the Swiss border. That's like where where, where I live. That's like 800 kilometers uh, away from Vienna. But Just I so you know, time, yeah. Austria was the country that my wife and I were going to move to. Like we were prepared. We were learning German. We. Looked at flats, uh, our best friends. We talked to them every day, all all in Vienna. Our sponsor, Bitpanda, is in Vienna. It's like my favorite country, Austria. Oh wow! Why, why did the, the the plans change? I, uh, well, we ha- we wanted to. St- we didn't want to wait until after my probation was over until we had to move, which it was like a three year probation that had I to see. end. And then so we had we wanted we were like living in New York and we wanted to leave New York. This was a few years ago, and we chose Florida. I'm really happy because um, I guess I didn't, you know, you do things like subconsciously. Um, my, yeah. I guess my, my need for like, not need for privacy, but like my not wanting to like see even just like police cars driving around is like, I live on a small island with like only a few hundred houses and uh, police just, there's no reason to patrol, you know, cause it's a gated, it's a gated island. And I, and I didn't do that on purpose. I think I did it uh, like as a subconscious thing. I don't know. <laughs> Nice. Yeah, of course. Always good to be far away from police. You know, I mean, I've worked in the governmental sector and the best decisions you made, even if it was just like subconsciousness, um, it's good. And I think um, we should still like trust our instincts much more. And this is like an instinct, right? So, yeah. So you have an interesting life story. Um, 
you are the the chief technology officer at Komodo, correct? Correct. Yeah, that's right. And been heading definitely want to go. We're going to go into that in a little bit. Um, but I want to just ask you some like a question really quick on uh, kind of the news of the day. So we have coronavirus, of course, going on. And you're a security expert. In fact, like you, you rose through the ranks. Uh, you know cybersecurity really well. Um, you know, it's no one's talking about, but you know, during this global pandemic, uh, supply chains is a huge issue, and just our, our utilities are all on the internet, right? Everything we do is electronic; it's all on the internet. No one's talking about security aspects that's going on right now. I I fear that with the administrations of the world focusing on dealing with this health pandemic, they're not focusing on dealing with security and potential ability for government. You know, you just don't see it on the news or, or anyone talking about it. There's a potential uh, ability for foreign governments to come in and try to take advantage of the times when, you know, America or even European governments are, you know, um, we have our backs turned. We're, we're focusing on something else. And now uh, some other countries have already dealt with this virus you think like on a security level that's a concern absolutely um, i'm really glad you you were asking this question i mean to be honest with you and speaking frankly i believe there there never really was uh, you know some sort of like a, um, a proper focus on on this layer i mean if you look at the base infrastructure right i'm speaking about the internet that we rely on day by day if you check the central mainframes, right, really, I'm speaking about the base infrastructure. That's almost the physical layer, right? The wires and everything that we're using for internet. If you looked at that, if you check the implementations on the hardware and software layer, I mean, you just like close your laptop right now and throw it out of the window. I mean, really, we're at that point and I think um, it, it's just getting worse. I mean, it's even something that, that we need to keep in mind regarding decentralized technologies, right? I mean, our industry, uh, the, the biggest argument of our industry is decentralization, trustless technologies, right? And all this uh, uh, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, if we're being like honest with each other, we're riding a 100% centralized infrastructure, which is like really, really like low, poor quality. And yeah, so so I just have, unfortunately, I have to... to to agree to what you said, it's it's a bad situation, and uh, I I believe it's something we we should be focusing on. It's something that governments, the governments, the the, the central um, ISP. Well, they're using this provider. opportunity to become more centralized now, right? Absolutely, absolutely, and they're abusing it. And and well, so I guess, and and I and I'm I'm leading into something here, um, because you're in Austria, and it, today's a very big day. In Austria, um, absolutely, yeah, huge they, they, day. And, yeah. and um, tell us what's going on today. Tell us, tell us what's going on today. And I usually never so like like today's March fourteenth for posterity. Today's March fourteenth, twenty twenty. I want to have the date out there because you know, today's a big day. Today's today, Austria's March the first 14, country. Yeah, Austria's the first country on the world that started basically um, losing this lockdown. You know, they've basically started opening like bigger stores, like non, uh, non-groceries. Like, really, we have like all various shops and, 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 and stores opened up. Um, I mean, we still have like some sort of like uh, 
tough, like pretty tough rules, right? I mean, face masks, these gloves, uh, you need to keep distance two meters. Uh, you need to use like a shopping cart, right? You can't get into a store without a shopping cart. Yeah. You're not allowed to take your kids with you. Kids still are at home. Schools are still closed, right? I mean, I think the world media is putting it like Austria just like uh, finished the this this uh, issue right and that we're getting back to normality but that's really not the case i mean i went out of the house today around 7 50 a.m uh, there are like there were huge lines right in, in in front of the bigger stores there are like a few markets for you know tools and stuff like for construction workers for for garden equipment etc and they, they've been like overloaded i mean people were standing in front of the store i haven't seen like anyone running around with a mask so i assume they'll get it inside the stores because in austria there's this is now like enforced by law uh you need to use masks etc i mean uh, we're currently in the stage of implementing a tracking software right on smartphones or uh, through central uh, mobile carrier providers, right? That's something I think media is not telling. They're just telling, okay, Austria uh, sort of like was the, uh, the the country where the citizens were listening nice and not leaving the house, and now they are like uh, past the, the, the critical phase. But I do not think that's the case. Between me and you, and like speaking honest, I think in in a few weeks, maybe months down the road, they'll just use this. The, the 14th of, of April, that was the day that should bring the change and everything back to normality, will be the reason that they're going to lock down everything again. That's like what... Really? Yeah, that's what I personally feel and what the few people like, I'm in touch with are also concerned about. That this, Well, let me ask you something. Yeah. On the other side of the world, I just tweeted this morning, on the other side of the world, there's protests in Vancouver. Protests! Uh, in a world where I, can't, I I wouldn't think that there's anything even worth protesting because you could potentially die because you're protesting on the street, like, you know, contracting this virus. People are protesting about ending the lockdown. Now, I understand if you want to, like, on Twitter or on the Internet, protest about the lockdown and the very centralization of power. But to, to talk to, like, actually go on the street, you're, like, defying and basically saying that the government's information about how this uh, disease is spreading, global governments, not just, like, the government of your country, uh, the, you know, the, the coordinated government message or whatever globally uh, is wrong and is, is incorrect, is lying. That's, that's what people are saying over there. It's crazy. Yeah, it is. It is crazy. It is crazy. But but we really need to to just take it as it is, and we need to see the reality. And this is the reality. And I mean, I I, I I've seen this sheen used amongst the the, the global system. The, you know, they start first with playing it down. Okay. Uh, in the next stage, they sort of admit mistakes and and ignorance and this and that, and then they turn the other way around. You know, like go completely nuts, lockdowns, these, that. So, I mean, on one hand, we need to do everything necessary to save lives, right? Of the elderly, of younger people, of everything. But we need to be careful with having a political system abuse uh, these sort of situations, right? Um, I mean, it's a very bad situation, a global bad situation. And I'm not even speaking about the economical impact that we're going to probably face in, in the coming months and years. Uh, so. To me, it's like very, very difficult, right? I mean, reading about these tracking software integrations and, and these plans, it's just very concerning. 
that yeah, these these situations, this this pandemic might be abused, right? To to implement some some more stricter control on the citizen, right? I mean, privacy is already an illusion. It has been an illusion for the last hundred years, probably. Um, but I, but I'm just like afraid that it might just get much much worse. Now, I mean, I'm in this industry because we all share the desire, right? To to kind of turn this world a better place. I mean, we have kids, we have, we have, we have, we see the next generation growing, and and yeah, it's just it's just difficult, I guess. So you you started you you got involved in in Bitcoin um, pretty early, and you started working with the Komodo core developers, and then you eventually uh, you're in your you know your chief technology officer role now. My question to you is: uh, you started you got involved in crypto before um, Komodo existed. Why did you decide to work on that platform? Like you weren't part of the founding team. Why choose that one? What was it about? And you know, obviously now you're in a leadership role, so there, you know, you love it. But tell tell us, tell tell me why. Tell us why. Okay. So so in fact, I mean, I've initially just like involved myself, like heavily involved myself in different like open source projects and I was really highly interested in, in this decentralization technologies and everything like related to this. Um, of course, Bitcoin was one of the very few uh, projects I, I've, I've involved myself in. And with Komodo, I mean, I've been like checking out the previous project of the the core Komodo founder of uh, James Lee. And that was like super net. He was involved in NXT, the NXT platform. And I've been like in touch with him already like back then, actually before Komodo was was. was uh, was founded. So when I uh, basically interact with with uh, with the former Komodo team or like a few founding partners of Komodo, we we were still working on Supernet. So speaking technically, I sort of co-founded Komodo, but not like as as a, as a sort of lead. I was really like a hundred percent in my element with the with the OPSEC. The OPSEC sector, just security in general, that was my thing. I mean, if you check out my Bitcoin talk uh, um, profile of CA triple three, my my the trust feedback that I received was solely for for secure code refuse. I've helped people securing um, not just like wallets or or scripts and implementations that handle cryptos, but even like non crypto related stuff like gaming board uh, website, private websites, even like corp websites. Uh, I have contacts like to to various different industries, and I was really I was glad I was I was very happy that I was able to to make out a living out of it eventually. And at some point, it was around like two fifteen, yeah, if I remember correctly, around two fifteen, two sixteen. At the, before Komodo even like um, executed the ICO, I've been working with with uh, with the Komodo founder, the core founder. And that was when I, I I did the first security job for him. So that led me basically that got me the the head of security position with Komodo before we officially kickstarted the project. And uh, yeah, then we launched Komodo. We launched Komodo in in two sixteen, around two sixteen, if I remember correctly. And a few months later, I remember I was around a half year, seven, eight months at the max later, uh, I, I was I was basically nominated and then later on announced the, the CTO. And um, isn't yeah. it interesting that 
you joined the space not looking for work, and that's how it ended up working out. You're part of uh, a a small group of people uh, that got their start in our space on Bitcoin Talk. And when you said that, I was like, ah, like I remember those. You know, it's 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 you remember those days with fondness, but really, do you remember like? we were on those, those forums, people were cutthroat. I mean, we're, we were talking about like the future of the world here, but we also didn't really take ourselves too seriously. Absolutely. It was absolutely not about money. And I've been just asked a week or two ago by someone else, like, what would you recommend? Like anyone, you in the space, right? What would you tell the person? I told that, that guy, I told him, look, what I would recommend you really is the f- very first thing is get into Bitcoin talk and read the post of the first one, was it like around two years? In 2012, 2013, we've seen like this crap load of altcoins. I never right? tell Pop people out. this. Okay, okay, I see. Yeah, but that's- I'd love to, someone should build a narrative of crypto, of Bitcoin, just using like the most important Bitcoin talk posts. But you can't really, because at one point you can, but at the same time, you can't because you can build your own narrative. Like you can create, you can just exclude certain posts. True. Yeah. You know? That's problematic. You can exclude yeah. all of Ethereum if you wanted to. Yeah. You can do whatever you want. Yeah. Yeah. So it doesn't really work. It gets this, this censorship thing. So for me, this chronological aspect, right? Just like cut off at some point. Like I'd say like pre 2012, a lot of like valuable talk there. But later on, 2013, 2014, I mean, it was like pretty much, I'd say like 90% of the talk in there and on any other like crypto board, it was just like business, right? It was money. It was like making a quick buck for most of the people. They're looking for financial economic opportunities. It wasn't, it wasn't like the talk that you said, like in the very beginning. I mean, we were chatting nights, really days and nights, like just about the world, this and that change. We weren't even like expecting crypto to go the path it went. And to me, that was like probably the most enriching time, right? Like from... I remember when I when I launched BitInstant um, to announce to people like, here, you have ways to buy Bitcoin and sell Bitcoin. It wasn't even like a top post. I had to keep bumping the thread because no one cared. No one cared that I announced 700,000 locations to buy Bitcoin with cash. Yeah, yeah. People were more interested in the thread where Gavin and Luke were debating certain opcodes, you know what I mean? Like, it was so stupid. Yeah, yeah, and I remember these days. That was, like, really funny. <laughs> it was. It, it really was. And, um, yeah, it's, it's it's really funny. It's, I mean, it's very interesting how everything evolved, right? I mean, I, I, I guess that's, like, part of, of um, moving towards the, the so-called mainstream adoption, right? But... I mean, I even remember the days, like in the very beginning, a few of the of the earliest adopters or the, the earliest members of Bitcoin Talk, they were actually real coin collectors. Like a couple of them, I remember I was like in touch with one or two of them. And, and I was wondering, like, how did they get in touch with it? Right. For me, it was really decentralized technology and, uh, and, and Satoshi's paper. But for them, it was like, oh, we collect physical coins and we read about the first like electronic coin, the Bitcoin. So we wanted to also get like a digital coin in our collections and to me, it was like just amazing. It was fascinating. That's an interesting point. Um, I never thought about, there was a huge gold bug community and silver community, but I didn't think about uh, the coin collector community. Um, you know, you joined a project that wasn't, that's not Bitcoin. And a lot of, uh, not the narrative, but a lot of people think that people who are involved very early on 
um, only work on like Bitcoin or Bitcoin related uh, projects. Did you get the fact that you were evolved very early and you still do work on Bitcoin, but you're also full time on a non-Bitcoin project. Did anyone give you any slack for that? Did anyone give you any negative feedback for, for wanting to do that? I mean, I was especially related to the to this crypto to crypto relation. Not really, right? I mean, most people didn't care. I think, especially amongst my deaf colleagues and friends and and uh, yeah, former academic contacts, uh, I think they understand that by working on Komodo or working on Zcash, we we automatically work on on Bitcoin to a certain degree, right? At the end of the day, we're really using the same underlying like protocol. It's, it's just like. Bitcoin base. I mean, we at Komodo, for example, we regularly like checking the Bitcoin core for like fixes improvements that, for instance, Zcash doesn't necessarily have already integrated, but we merge them over to Komodo code base. So we're still sort of like, especially myself, working on 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 both code bases. But I had people like sort of slap me like for not being in in the how, how you want to call it like in the traditional IT sector, right? That I moved to this like crypto. I mean, a lot of people were telling me like, what is this? Like, it's it's nothing real, right? And, but also like to, to a certain degree, I have to, to admit that certain colleagues within the crypto community, well, I think there are a few that's, that, you know, that say, okay, why are you guys all putting efforts into like Komodo, Zcash, Tezos, this, that? Why can't everyone just work on Bitcoin? We would have the entire uh, coin market cap just on Bitcoin. We would have a higher, like, just uh, economic level activity and so on, right? So from that point, if I understood your question correctly, I guess there are a lot, a lot of like uh, the, the Bitcoin maximalists, the, the, you know, the ones against all the, this, um, this, uh, the altcoin haters. I mean, those are the worst. Yeah, th- th- these are the ones who tell you, um, yeah, what what are you doing? Right, like better put your time into Bitcoin and help getting Bitcoin to the next level, in, in, rather than like working on some second or third generation coin. So you know, BitPay has been a super long term sponsor of Untold Stories, and actually one of my favorite companies in the space. I've been using them forever since 2014. I've been using my BitPay debit card. And I love it. I have actually had two of them at this point because I use it so much. Anyways, BitPay is launching their newest program. It's super cool. No one knows any details about it except for me and now except for you. It's still in stealth mode right now, but we've arranged that my listeners can get early access to their newest card program. So check it out. The first 100 people to sign up will get it literally free. All you have to do is go to bitpay.com forward slash Charlie. There's no catch. Go to bitpay.com forward slash Charlie. I've been using this product for years. This is the newest update. Everything about this product will beat the competitor on the market. Fees, limits, beautiful, sexy, little, sleek card. Everything about it is amazing. No one else has this opportunity except for you right now listening to this. BitPay.com forward slash Charlie. You guys are going to love it. It's so cool. I cannot wait to get my hands on one. There are uh, events in our lives that shape you know, how we live every day, how we wake up every morning, how we like, do you smile when you wake up in the morning? Do you smile when you go to bed at night? What motivates you? There are like traumatic events. Um, my story has been told over and over and over again. I, uh, growing up in a, in a, in a certain, you know, religious family, you know, community, uh, there was, a, you know, and then leaving that, uh, and then the issues I've had as a young adult, uh, in prison and everything, I feel like fundamentally changed who I am for the better. But growing up, 
I was also like, like a loser. Um, I'm not going to say like you, but I was, uh, I didn't have like a social life in person. My world was IRC. My world was the, I was literally the moderator <laughs> of an IRC server, like oh, when wow. I was 15 years old for years. That's all I did. Um, but I had to seek solace inside of the internet uh, because my personal life was terrible uh, growing up. Not terrible, like I didn't have a bad childhood, but uh, I, I didn't have, I never felt like I didn't want to relate to outside of like the internet. Uh, did you have a similar upbringing? I, I see that you were, um, you, you grew up uh, as what we call in the U.S. as a, as a, a military brat. So you traveled around the world. Your, your family was in, in the uh uh, exactly. Diplomats, yeah, yeah diplomats. I was in the diplomatic corps. Yeah. Tell and us about that. Yeah, I somehow landed in a North African country uh, where I was actually also born. Uh, my my family had the the presence phase uh, during that time, and it was also like a few years later. I mean, was I was grown up in this Northern African country, and a few years later down the road, I also had like this this. Um, uh, tragic experience which I, which I which i think like heavily like influenced the way like um i evolve not just like my personality and my character but i think also especially yeah. like the way i make decisions right the way i look at the world the way i look at life and death right i mean at, at, at a really as a very young adult as a, as a kid actually um i've been like uh, yeah actually pre present life there during the homicide of of my father and i think this really um, influenced me a lot, a lot. Um, similar to how how you grew up, you know, with this uh, this this huge relation to the cyber world. I think I've also somehow, you know, fled into the cyber world, and also, um, you know, I, I tell people I I feel I'm like a wizard with IT, with software development. Something that my father teach me, like the initial steps, my first steps with coding, with Visual Basic. That was all stuff that I was like taught by my father who was a self-taught uh, coder right for for did even stuff for the ministry actually but he wasn't he wasn't an, a coder like uh, for, through academic uh, experience or 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 education and my social life during this age i mean my friends most of my friends most of the social contacts i had were in the cyberspace as you said irc was our our life the proofs irc server i'm still in there today and it's it's i don't necessarily say it's like bad or that we 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 ha have a bad social life or had a bad social life compared to to other teens in our age i mean for me it was like magic i was a wizard i'm able to create things out of nothing and that's something that not 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 everyone could do that that for me was sort of a huge positive power, a creative power, right? As opposed to some destructive power. And I think this also helped me, you know, overcome um, other problems, you know, other other social issues, issues related to the, to the tragic event in, in my younger years. And uh, I, I think it, it, for me personally, like looking back at that time and, and looking back at how I grew up, I think I wouldn't be the human I am today and the main reason that I actually, you know, after school education, after university and everything, that I joined like governmental sector, etc., was this optimistic view on, on the world. And I think, I mean, I've always been like trying to, to question everything, be highly skeptical about everything. But I was like very optimistic when it, when it came to the official system, right? The system, the government. 
And I would have never thought that the system is, you know, what I think it is today. When I joined government and, and um, you know, the OPSEC division in this government level agencies, I, I really was, was thinking like 100% completely. Did you feel like the government let you down in some way? Not myself, not myself. I, I, I didn't feel like personally affected, but when I took the chance to start a career in, in, in the IT department of, of, of the military, I was always expecting that we're the good guys, you know, like we're doing the good stuff and this and that. But when you notice that it becomes trivial for, uh, for certain institutions, for certain people in specific positions, to fetch all the information and data related to a citizen. For me, that, that's like very problematic because I was taught different, right? Uh, we have a lot of lawyers in the family. My sister is a lawyer. And I mean, I'm, I'm someone, I believe in privacy and freedom of speech. And I also believe that we as humans, we should like be like really very free. And uh, I don't like anything like put on force upon humans. And when I noticed that... I mean, we call this voluntarists. <laughs> yeah. You believe uh, the simple fact without putting labels, you believe, uh, and it's a great thing to follow, um, that everything in life should be voluntary, meaning that you nothing in life uh, gives you the right to force your will on someone else. That's it. That's the only thing. It's voluntarism. And it's, it's a beautiful thing if you think about it. Yeah. And I, and I also think like every human should be able to do whatever that human wants if it doesn't affect anyone else, right? So uh, what gives you... You and I agree about this because we we grew up in the same world, but the rest of the world didn't grow up in that internet world, so they don't understand this. I think we have the same views because we grew up in a world of IRC. And in IRC, all you are is a screen name. We all start the same. There's no poor or rich in IRC, right? It's all the same. There's no... There's no... Even, you know, your username... The only time your username was bold is if you were a moderator or a server admin. So yeah. even that, like, there was no status. It was all it was all the same, which was great. So we grew up in a world where, um, and this was like the social world that you grew up in. I know, and I know, uh, I'm speaking for you, but uh, you agree with me that the, in this world there was no race, there was no you know nationality, even there was Absolutely. no language, there was no accents, there was yeah. no sexual preference. It's not that it's not that it didn't matter. It's just that it was never thought of. No one thought it, it wasn't spoken about or thought of because it didn't matter right it was it was uh, needed yeah it was just it wasn't needed totally that's the right word to use like uh, really a totally unnecessary detail like no one cared about it and one thing that i know i mean we helped each other we helped each other i mean i've helped people i've never seen in my life up to today i've never seen them i've never spoken to them i don't even know if they are who they tell us to be but we helped each other Without the expectation of getting something back, right? That's something that's missing in the in nowadays monetary system based, this financial economical system. Just forget it. I mean, even in, inside families, it's not existent. And 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 these are all these these elements. Yeah, it's it, it wasn't like one like a specific event that that sort of like showed me how our system really is it, it it was just everything the big picture right over the years you, you just load up so much you know of all this information and of all this knowledge that you from a certain perspective probably don't want to know and i think that's it like at some point you're just like 
you're gonna burn out. I mean, I I I, I reached a point where 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 I knew I told myself like I'm gonna end up in like a serious like uh, a psychological problem, and I'll end up like really probably hating my life at the end. I said if I'm gonna like be in deathbed at at one day and really regretting everything that I did and the work that I did. I mean, I have kids. I I don't want to leave them in in a bad world in a in a world. Uh, like, uh, like, like precisely described in, in 1984, I don't want that. And yeah, I think that was like the moment for me where I told myself, okay, no, fuck it. Uh, I am through this. Like I'm, I, I'd rather like have no like safe job, you know, and I'm not part of the system, but at the end of the day, I'm going to be like really happy and satisfied by what I do or at least try to do. And I, I told myself, even if I'm not going to change the world, I'm going to do everything necessary to at least spark the brain that's going to change the world. And that, that's where I landed, like in, in, in the crypto scene, right? Bitcoin talk. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm also like trying to, to be very active in other, in other IT projects. Um, for example, I do support various third-party projects in the in the in the area of freedom of speech, right? Um, anonymization, routing protocols. I I try to support whenever I can, whenever I'm able to, because I I really think it's 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 problem and it boils down to uh, like a hundred percent centralized, you know, society. And I mean, the way everything is going right now, I even think they might implement some sort of, you know, this. This UBI, the basic income thing, and w- I'm just asking myself, where is this gonna like lead us? And I think Europe and and the US, they they're, they're looking like uh, towards like uh, really difficult times. Okay, so so we talked about like you know our faith in government, and then we get involved in Bitcoin and crypto, um, but here we are, like I don't know, almost ten years into Bitcoin, and we're still theorizing about change. We're still uh, the the ideology that you're that you're talking about that we wanted to change in those early IRC rooms and those early Bitcoin talk rooms, uh, they think you know Argentina still has hyperinflation, Venezuela is still dealing with its shit, uh, Africa is still poor. Um, is it just that it takes time, or have we lost our path um, because we don't exist in those IRC chat rooms anymore? I mean, speaking frankly, if I look at like the third world, and <clears throat> um, I believe. The Western countries aren't really helping them. And I personally believe that there's more than plenty of resources for all of us, right? Uh, I mean, how, 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 no, come, how is this possible? Okay, so there's a university in Djibouti, okay, in, in, in uh, the north and eastern part of Africa. It's right uh, around Egypt, this little small country. They have a university, a state university, and... They've been running some research, long-term research. Right? This is an example, just so you, you you know what I mean. Okay, and there's a U.S. A well-known U.S. in the U.S. who already like did the same research a couple of years before and actually like has like the results and everything, but it's not publicly accessible, right? So, I think in in a world where we have this globalization, but we Still, you know, we still aren't able to have an open, accessible knowledge system. We're not able to balance out resources to provide resources to the ones in need. I mean, if you open flightradar24.com, right, 
and you check just the amount of planes in the sky, right, crossing or even landing in, in, in these third world countries, you'd ask yourself, why? Why are not the resources reaching this? I, mean, I believe that uh, we as a civilization, as a species, we the, the species human, we are definitely able and we would have been able to do this like for, for the last like 50 years. We could have just like make poverty disappear on this, on this planet on a global scale. But it just doesn't work out in, 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 in this uh, globalist financial uh, economic system that, that we have right now. Right. So I think the, the world is such the, the system lost the path completely. How have you been dealing with the whole lockdown? How have you been dealing mentally and, and physically? I mean, uh, physically, I'm, I, I'm glad I, I live right next to a mountain. So I do go out. Okay. Um, I do go out. I do exercise. I run. I, I, I just need my daily routine. And I mean, in the house, we have our kids here. My wife, we, we, we're homeschooling them. So we, we have a daily, yeah, like a daily time for, for just homeschooling the kids, uh, time for sports. We just try to keep a sort of routine. We try to not like do nothing. I mean, I'm, I've been like following social media a little bit, like the last like couple of days. And I mean, a lot of people actually do not dislike this situation. A lot of people who've been like working like really hard, right? Especially here in Austria, for example, like the, 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 the facility workers, et cetera, factory workers. A lot of them are really glad about the lockdown because they're not like facing any financial like disadvantage. They're still getting 90% of their salary. Uh, and they don't care. I mean, most people really do not care about this lockdown, about, about this isolation. I, I do care. I mean, if I didn't have the opportunity to go out, I think it would be like more problematic for me. But since I have the opportunity to leave the house regularly to, to, to get there, to get like, just like, um, yeah, change of environment, uh, it's helping me a lot. But of course, I mean, at some point it's, it's getting too much, right? You want to move, you want to travel. I mean, you probably someone who travels a lot, and I feel like traveling a lot too. And this puts like, like some limitations on me. And I think the biggest, biggest problem of this, really, it's that you see that you're not free. Realizing that I am not free. Realizing I cannot cross the border. If I try to cross the border to Switzerland to take a plane, they won't let me. And that's this thought, thinking about this, that's, that's, that's the... That's the issue for me. That's a, the, the, the biggest problem and the concern. And now, now that the world is opening up again? Well, the borders are still closed. Uh, borders are still locked down. Um, you're still not allowed to move uh, outside in public with people that you're not living with in the same household. So it's, 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 it's a problem. Like, I really do see a problem. I mean, uh, people are not allowed to visit their parents, not allowed to visit their siblings, not allowed to... This is still active. So government is opening the stores, and it might sound uh, ironic and paradox. So I could go to a big a store, right, to a grocery. I could actually meet my sister there, right, or my, my, my brother, just accidentally, like uh, out of a coincidence. But it's not allowed to do it on purpose. So... For me, this uh, social distancing at this level is like uh, it's, it's 
it's problematic. It, I, I think the, the it, it's going to have like a huge negative impact, right, on on the social um, this this social layer, and especially younger people. I'm speaking yeah. about teenies, right? People in the younger ages, people who are actively making new connections, new relationships, building a, a social network, like a real analog social network, right? That's I think these are suffering the most, and and I mean, is yet to come to see what the, the this generation is gonna look like in five to ten years from now. Uh, we don't know if this virus, if this pandemic, like gets worse, and you know, I mean, there's like so many different reports. But if this gets out of control, if let's say in six months from now the situation is actually much worse because winter came back, it got cold, it got out of control, broke out again. Uh, etc i think it could become like a longer term problem and again i I think the 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 economic and social impact of this pandemic uh, is going to be the biggest the 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 health issues aren't as big as as the rest yeah look at us we spent 40 minutes so far on the show we've barely touched on the komodo platform um for the listeners interesting you know i know and we, this typically happens on the show, which is great because um, we're here to talk to you and about your life and, and your story. Um, but tell us about the platform. Um, it sounds like at least from the outset, without even knowing, uh, your community is probably awesome. And as, as for me, the first thing I look at for a project that I want to potentially join or invest in or be a part of is what's their community like? Is there toxicity? And it sounds like since you grew up in the same like IRC communities that I grew up in, uh, you you focus on that community, but tell us on a larger scale, like what the platform is, um, um, you, you, you have multiple, uh, blockchains and you have multiple, uh, coins that are on top of, of the platform. Uh, tell us how it all got started. Exactly. So I'll just like give you a little like, uh, input on our community. Really. They're great. Uh, I mean, we do have trolls and, you know, this sort of stuff everywhere. Every community has them and it needs them. It's part of the game. But I'd say the majority of the Komodo community is just like really genius, decent humans, right? Like ethical minded, good people. Um, I, I'd say our community is like really as unique as every single individual character in our community. Great people. Um, as to Komodo, right? Just like as a quick introduction, in technical terms, we say like a Komodo platform is, is, is the industry's first like composable, open composable smart chain platform. And it's building on a multi-chain architecture, right? So what does this mean? What's, what's a smart chain, right? What's a multi-chain architecture? So a smart chain as opposed to a smart contract. A smart contract is just like one little, like a little tool, a little app that runs on top of a, of a, of a, of a blockchain. That's a smart contract. A smart chain is, is there's something similar, like if I gave you your own Ethereum platform, not just a smart contract and a token, no, a whole platform, right? So I'll give you a smart chain platform. That's like every project that builds a, a blockchain based on Komodo has this, this so-called smart chain. And this smart chain is, it's like very open. It's, it's freely usable. It's like independent. It does not rely on Komodo as a parent chain, as opposed to other platforms like for example erc contract for example would rely on the, on the on the parent chain so if a parent chain disappears i mean you know what would happen and the last element of of this definition is the multi-chain architecture so most blockchains out in the space have a single chain architecture for example ethereum right they have like one 
blockchain, one blockchain uh, platform, that's Ethereum, and all contracts and everything runs on top of this uh, this this platform. And I'm sure you remember when when crypto kitties came out and it clocked up the Ethereum platform for. Uh, yeah, o- over a year or two ago, if if I remember, and it was like really, it was significant. I mean, it was it was huge. It was a huge hype, and people like loved the game. But it showed up like the scalability issues and things like that. So, in contrast, by contrast, Komodo um, lets you scale up your blockchain. Right, this smart chain that I just like explained before, this smart chain is able to spin up a sort of like. Not, not side chains, but we call it like scale chains, scaling chains. And you can basically scale up these side chains uh, unlimited, like really infinite. This means when your blockchain would reach the limit, the limit of transactions, uh, the, the limit, whatever limit is reached, you could basically scale up by spinning up these side chains, these parallel chains. and how does this work? Like just like a very quick explanation on that. If you have your main chain, okay, let's say we have a Charlie chain and we have a uh, a second Charlie chain, the scale chain. So the Charlie chain is able to send coins to the scale chain, and they would basically be burned, destroyed on on the original Charlie chain, and sort of like recreated, regenerated on the scale chain. So this way we keep the entire ecosystem balanced out when it comes to the to the financial value to the to the reflection of the coin capitalization but still provide the the, the double as uh, uh, bandwidth, right? So you would have like the double uh, transaction limits and so on. And this is something that scales up like immensely. I mean, we we ran a test with this. Uh, in that test, we we did like ten, twenty thousand transactions per second, and that was just like a small test to figure out like how how far could we go, right? And that's when we figured we could even like crack a million transactions per second limit. Wouldn't be any problem with this uh, multi-chain architecture technology, and. That's like pretty much Komodo. I mean, we have like dozens of projects that built their blockchain with Komodo. And they, they, they have this smart chain. They're using it. Uh, they enjoy Bitcoin level security. So Komodo comes natively with Bitcoin level security because we store our blockchain header info into the Bitcoin blockchain in, in regular intervals. It's like sort of a, of a backup, right? We just like backup certain Komodo uh, blockchain information into the Bitcoin blockchain, and we use the Bitcoin blockchain to validate and and verify the the Komodo blockchain. So let's say a hacker or malicious actor would like to attack Komodo or one of Komodo based smart chains. Who would first have like to hack Bitcoin, roll back the the Bitcoin blockchain, uh, the the Bitcoin uh, blockchain, and afterwards would you be able to do the same with Komodo? But you would still have like to execute a huge attack which practically isn't really like possible. And I, I, I just like to give you another like insight, like on the Komodo platform, I, I, I'd say like the most important layer, that's like our holy grail. And that's Atomic DEX. Atomic DEX is, is, is a third generation decentralized exchange. And this DEX is, is powered by cross-chain atomic swaps. And this cross-chain atomic swap, so our atomic DEX isn't just a cross-chain atomic swap protocol. 
it's literally it's literally um, a cross protocol implementation means. Um, I mean, there are like many other DEXs around, right? Decentralized exchanges. And I'm sure you know, like, as opposed to a centralized exchange in a decentralized exchange, you wouldn't have to trust anyone. There also have been atomic swaps, like Atomic Wallet have, has been doing atomic swaps from various blockchains. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, and so with Atomic Dex, with Atomic Mobile and the, the, the whole technological layer, you're able to swap all Bitcoin protocol-based cryptocurrencies against each other, but also against like Ethereum, ERC tokens, right? We cover most of the ERC tokens. So that's around 99% of the coin market cap list are supported by Atomic DEX. Atomic DEX really like lets you maintain the absolute control over your funds, right? Until the moment you trade. So there's really no like uh, risk, no counterparty risk. You're not like giving a custodial control over your 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 coins, like it's the case with 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 all the centralized exchanges. And decentralization with, is the most important thing to you. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And not just like decentralization. I mean, there's good and there's also like this. Yeah, if you want to put it like that, like sort of like bad decentralization. But to me, decentralization means. First of all, like the protocol, the, the underlying technology, the way something interacts with each other needs to be decentralized. It needs to be peer-to-peer, trustless. I don't have to trust the centralized server, right? Which someone could just shut down. And the second most important like uh, aspect is the control over the funds. I mean, I could build a decentralized exchange, but then still have like centralized elements that, that uh, handle, regulate the um, parts of a trade like it's the case with many other like projects uh, but for us it was like absolute high priority to to keep the control over the funds in the user's hands right 100% at no point of time shall that change right the blockchain ensures that that the trade happens and that there is no risk for neither of the trading parties and that, for us, that was like the most important thing because with this sort of like decentralization and with this sort of like trustless environment, um, there are literally no limits to not like how you trade, but also what you trade. Kadan, thank you so much for coming on the show and we will talk to you soon. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. New episodes of Untold Stories are released every Tuesday and Thursday at 7 a.m. EST on untoldstories.com, Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Untold Stories is produced by Jason Yanowitz, Michael E. Polito, Reed Hannaford, and Riley Silbert of BlockWorks Group. Our account executives are Gina DeFelice and Julie Muroff. Our content is written by Kathy Zolo, Ronnie Tishner, and Scott Offert. Special thanks to Wayne Dallaire from Jump Dog Audio Productions. And of course, I'm your host, Charlie Shrem. You can follow me on Twitter, at Charlie Shrem, to continue the conversation. Send me some messages, feedback, or anything you want to say. And remember, please give some love to my sponsors, and I'll see you next week. Remember, strength in numbers. And information is power.